Scripture reading this morning is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Don. Well, last week we began a series of messages called Prayer as Life. Um, I, I mentioned that we could have called it Prayer as Living because what we're doing in this series is differentiating between prayers with, a, with an S on the end and prayer, the big concept of, of prayer. There's a difference between the two. Um, and so when it comes to prayers, there are different kinds of, of prayers. There are, there's recited prayers like the Lord's Prayer and prayers that we pray in church. And that's important. They bring comfort and guidance to us. You might remember I did a whole series on the Lord's Prayer, taking each part line by line and encouraged us to meditate and to memorize this prayer. But that's not all of prayer. There's also conversational or spontaneous prayer where you sort of unburden yourself to God and sometimes you share about your concerns or your worries or things that are going on in other people's lives and and this is important too. We're told to tell God all of our needs with earnestness and with uh, thankful prayer. And so those are prayers. Um, but then there is prayer, which is the big, bigger concept. It, you could think of it as like a pie, where prayer is the pie, and then within that pie there are slices, and recited prayers, there's one slice of the pie, extemporaneous conversational prayer is another slice of the plot pie, Contempor- um, contemplative prayers like, like the, the centering prayer or Lectio Divina, another kind of the pie. But none, no one piece of the pie is the whole pie. And we looked at the story of Mary and Martha as an example of prayer and prayer as life. Uh, you might remember Jesus shows up at their home for dinner. Mary and Martha are sisters and, and they have Lazarus as well. And, and uh, Jesus shows up at their home for dinner. And Martha is running around all over the place and busy and worried and scurrying around. And Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet attentive to him, um, perhaps enthralled by being in his presence. And some of you have heard many sermons on this, but the, the key factor is that Martha running around is an image for how many evangelical Christians in America relate to prayer. Uh, we're scurrying around, worried about many things, and the Lord is sitting right there in our living room. But Mary decides to let go of the scurrying and attend and sit at Jesus' feet. She's attentive, she's open, she's present, awake to the presence and teachings of Jesus. That is the life of prayer. That's the whole pie, a studied attentiveness to 
the presence of God. And we also talked about how when we think about prayer in this way and we go on this journey of a life of prayer, how it, um, it has a way oh, slowly over time of stripping away the false certainties and false belongings that we have built up. Um, some of the masks that we, we wear, that we have been told, or things that we've learned growing up about ourselves that may or may not be true. Um, and we put ourselves like Mary in an attentive listening posture with the divine, with God. It has a way of showing us the scaffolding that we've erected um, around our true selves, the life we've created and the one that we're trying to protect or posture or prevent from getting hurt. And, and that gets torn down in the presence of God in authentic prayer because there's something beautiful underneath all the scaffolding. And that something beautiful is, is you, the real you, the you that God designed and made in his image. And so and it's in God's presence that we also ironically discover our true presence that we are truly loved. When John Calvin was a minister in Switzerland, in Geneva, he had a really hard time with um, the pagan philosophical notion of knowing thyself without God. It was big, you know, Western philosophy had made its way into Europe in the medieval era, and even this exhortation to know thyself was inscribed um, on the pagan temple of Apollo in Greece. And Calvin understood, he was very accustomed to Greek philosophy, but he understood that knowledge of self cannot be had without knowledge of God, and that knowledge of God and knowledge of self are actually integrally intertwined. The opening line of his monumental work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, he writes this, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. When we place ourselves um, sort of naked and raw before God, we get to know the true God who loves us. And in doing so, we get to know that we have been created in God's image. We come to know that we are, um, that we are love worthy. Um, and so that was kind of last week. This week we're going to talk a little bit more about this rather odd phenomenon in the life of prayer. Jesus tells his two very shortest parables back to back here in Matthew 13. One is about finding a treasure in a field. The other is about a pearl diver who dives in, in to find a pearl. But we're going to focus on the hidden treasure. Jesus was teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, trying to describe to them, I came to bring the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like. You could call it the culture of God or the way of God, the reign of God's love 
in the world. And, uh, and he says it's like a man who goes out into the field. And it's really interesting. He's going along, and you kind of uh, can picture this. He's plowing his field, and maybe he's thinking about one of those stories. Uh, there was a story in, in those days that said that uh, there's buried treasure out in these fields. And if you own the field and you come across this treasure, then, it's, uh, then, then you get to keep the treasure. And maybe he's kind of thinking this this about this story as he's plowing his plow and thinking I've never actually encountered that and before but I've heard about those stories and then clink his uh, plow hits something it probably thinks it's a big rock the ox slows down and he gets off and oh my goodness there's this treasure chest right in the middle of this field and uh, and 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 so he dusts it off probably thinking it's probably just some junk and he smashes the latch and he opens it up and oh my goodness there's gold coins stacked to the brim of this treasure chest and so he's thinking to himself wow if only I owned this field he was a sharecropper and and there was a law actually in those books that if you own the field and you find a treasure then the treasure is yours kind of like a finders keepers losers weepers sort of thing um, and, and then you're sort of thinking, well, how would the treasure then get into the field? Well, it actually made a lot of sense because there was a lot of warfare in those days and people didn't trust their local banks. And so what they would do if they were on the run, they would go and hide their treasure, their, their life savings buried into the ground, thinking to themselves, um, if I survive this war or whatever it is that I'm running from, I'm going to be the only one who knows where this treasure is. And so I'll go back and find it. But... So um, if you're a sharecropper, this, according to this parable, the sharecropper finds this treasure. He realizes that if he owns this field, he could have it. And so what does he do then? He quickly is very shrewd. He hides the treasure so nobody else could find it. And then he goes off and he sells everything that he owns because the field with the treasure is worth so much more than everything he owns. And then he buys that field. Um, so that he then owns the treasure. Incredible story. Our life of prayer begins with an encounter with God. We encounter God's love. We encounter God's love not just as God's love, but we encounter God loving us the way that we really are. God, of course, um, w w wants to deepen who, how we are. He wants to change how we are, but he loves us just as we are. And this is the beginning of the spiritual life, but it's only the beginning. Let me read a passage from Henry Nouwen's book, the book I'm reading throughout this summer called The Only Necessary Thing. It's a book about um, Henry's thoughts on prayer, and uh, he writes this. He says, you have found a treasure, the treasure of God's love. You know now where it is, but you're not ready yet to own it fully. So many attachments keep pulling you away. If you would fully own your treasure, you must hide it in the field where you found it, go off happily and sell everything you own, then come back and buy the field. You can be truly happy that you've found the treasure, but you should not be so naive as to think that you already own it. Having found the treasure puts you on a new quest for it. 
And here's a line I'd like you to remember. The spiritual life is a long and often arduous search for what you have already found. The spiritual life is an often long and arduous search to find what you have already found. You can seek God only when you have already found God. The desire for God's unconditional love is actually the fruit of having been touched by that love. A newfound love needs to be nurtured in quiet, intimate space. He says, finding the treasure without being ready yet to fully own it will make you restless. And this is the restlessness of the search for God. It is the way to holiness. It is the road to the kingdom. It is the journey to the place where you can rest. I love that idea that you have found the treasure. Like we, we've, we've dis- we had an encounter with the love of God. We sensed his love. We felt his forgiveness. We want his grace. But yet there's so many other things that we're still holding on to. And the rest of our lives are spent learning to sell everything we have in order to possess this treasure. Um, and so we, we want the love and the grace and the forgiveness and we begin a haltering relationship with God. But our attachments, our false belongings, they hold our, attention, our, hold our attentions. Could be grief, it could be grudges or fears or resentments, addictions, cynicism. You name it, it could be material goods, it could be a career, it could be a loss. All kinds of attachments hold us from really owning the love of God. It's kind of an odd concept, isn't it? You find the love of God and yet you need to continue questing for the love of God. You find the treasure and it sends you on a deeper journey to discover more of it. When I uh, first met my wife, Devin, we weren't married at the time. I'm not sure why I needed to say that. Uh, it's pretty obvious. Um, so we, but um, I was drawn to her, her love, um, her, not her love, we didn't have that yet, but her beauty and her fun and her energy. And we started to become friends. We were in college at Westmont. And, um, and then we started dating and, and then there was courtship and the, you know, the romance started to fly and then we got engaged and then we got married and then there's cancer and then there's three kids and there's different cities and several different jobs and several different houses later. And there was somebody, uh, one of our friends who's beginning a, a second marriage after a really painful uh, and redemptive story. Uh, experience in her life and she asked Devin well what what's your secret how do you guys stay married for 20 years and I know 20 years is like nothing on some of you but for me it's a big deal I've never done anything for 20 years um, so she so she said what's your secret and Devin said well he's my best friend and uh, and we've always just been best friends and I agree with that um, Devin is is my best friend um, and the interesting thing is that now with 20 kids, three, or 20, 20 kids, <laughs> sometimes it feels that way, a little Freudian, um, 20 years, three kids, cancer, and all these jobs later, she's still my best friend, but she's still a mystery to me. 
I'm still getting to know her. Uh, In each new context, I learn new things about her. And the more I get to know her, the more I learn, there's more to learn about her. And that's the way relationships work. The deeper you go into the relationship, the more you discover that there's more to know and more to learn and more to, to grow in. I found the treasure in the dorm, at Van Campen dorm room in, uh, in Westmont College, I found the treasure. And the next 22 years has been the pursuit of discovering the beauty in a greater way of that treasure that I found. A lifelong quest to discover the full beauty of that treasure. Now, and if Devin is a mystery to me after 20 years, Imagine starting a relationship with God, right? Like, I mean, the God, is, God is God, and God will always be mystery. God will always be more than we can know, more than we've figured out, more than we've learned or thought. God will not be a predictable partner because God is God and way beyond our imagination. And so prayer, then, is a developed, habit of careful attentiveness to the God who is the Father of Jesus and in your heart and in all around you. And the irony is that God is not absent. God is never unavailable. We are much more unavailable to God in this relationship than God is to us. God is showing up everywhere. We often find ourselves with eyes closed or asleep or distracted. There's, a, there's a, a contemplative teacher who I really like by the name of James Finley, Jim Finley. And, uh, and he says that we are meant to be in our life present, open, and awake. If you forget nothing else about this sermon, just remember these three words and ponder them this week. To be present, open, and awake. To be present is, is hard. It means that we have to be where we are. Because if we're not where we are, then we are where we're not, right? And if we are where we're not, then we're really not anywhere. And God can only be in reality. God does not exist in non-reality. God exists in reality. So if we are where we're not, if we aren't where we are and we are where we aren't, we're, we're not really anywhere. And so we have to learn how to practice being present because God is present in reality. Um, and that takes, that takes, uh, that takes practice. Um, and then to be present, but then also to be open, that we would have an open-handed posture towards God, not closed, but open, um, in the same way that God is open to us. It's important that we have to cultivate a sense of being open to, to God, and not the God that has been in the little box that I thought I knew, but the God who is constantly breaking out of the box um, that we have been conditioned to put God in over the years, to be present, to be open to the true God, the Father of Jesus in the Spirit, and then we need to be awake. Many go through their lives asleep to the reality that there is a spiritual life, a spiritual reality to our world, to existence, and to within each and every one of us. 
Um, and, and we've got to learn to be awake to that and present to that reality. Um, I love this quote from Henry Nouwen. He says, the spiritual life without prayer is like the gospel without Christ. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. There's just, it doesn't exist. Um, prayer is the essence of the spiritual life in the same way that Christ is the essence of the gospel. You can't have a spiritual life without prayer. Not just saying prayers, but prayer as an attentiveness to the presence and reality of God. And the more we practice it intentionally, the more then we realize, the more we set aside time to practice intentional prayer, the more we become aware of God's presence and we can find ourselves in conversation with God when we're driving, when we're hiking, when we're mountain biking or road riding or when we're doing the dishes, as Brother Lawrence would say, or as we're putting the children to bed or even, of course, as we're taking communion. We can be present to God in anywhere. It just takes noticing, paying attention. You'll remember that Jesus said in a couple of places um, about paying attention to our natural surroundings, to nature. And by the way, Bethany, I had no idea, I should have known, but I had no idea you were going to be talking about this text um, in our discipleship class this morning. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, neither have storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Um, and then, uh, how much more value are you than the birds? And then he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. We, we think about all of the other stuff. But have you ever paused to, to think about the word consider? When Jesus says, consider the lilies, he's actually telling us to stop and pay attention to the lilies. Like he's saying, pay it notice the lilies. But we might find ourselves on a hike or in our nature or whatever, thinking about our stock portfolios. And Jesus is saying, look at the birds. They're actually teaching us about the way the kingdom works. They're our teachers. The lilies are teaching us about the love of God. Pay attention to your surroundings. It, some of you are birders and you're into birding. And if you're into birding, you've got a leg up on the rest of us because in order to be a birder, you have to learn how to notice the birds and to pay attention to the intricacies of these birds. And when we wake up in the morning and we hear birds singing out of our window, we should think that's doxology. That's creation saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. All creation sings. We listen to the birds and that should draw us in to our doxological response of giving glory to God. It's quite amazing. Jesus says, consider the birds. And if you stop and pay attention to the birds, then you're just one step away from paying attention to the one who created the birds and sent them to us. St. Francis, of course, knew all about this as well, but so did Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote a whole sermon about how the birds are our teachers. It's fantastic. Be attentive because God is speaking to you even through nature. Attentiveness to nature gives us a beautiful image of the God that we serve and love. Um, so, but what about our interior lives? That's being attentive to what's going on around us. God is sending us, I had one, one teacher who said that nature are like the green scriptures. 
It's God's, God's scriptures, right? Um, but what about our interior lives? God also speaks to us with the movements that we experience in our lives. Um, and so when Jesus got up early in the morning, um, before, while it was still dark, and he went away to a lonely place to pray, well, why would he do that? Did he, he didn't really need to do that. He was constantly living according to the voice of the Father. And, and, and we know that. He followed the Father's voice. It directed all his paths. It's why he didn't go see Lazarus immediately after he died, but he waited because the Father told him to. He had some other plan to get him there delayed and then raise him from the dead and this and that. So why would Jesus need to take time away to spend time with the Father when he simply can listen to the Father's voice all throughout each day and every day? The reason is, is because of the interior attentiveness to God when you're forced, when you're focused on God and God alone. And ironically, it could be three minutes or it could be three hours or it could be three days or several weeks of solitude or centering prayer. You can do it while you're off hiking or mountain biking or, or whatever, taking a portion of that to be attentive, not only to nature around, but also what's going on inside me. Uh, what am I afraid of? What am I, what am I worried about? Um, what, what are the thoughts that keep keeping me up at night? And, and what, is, what, is, what do you, God, want to say to me about what's going on within me? Um, and so when we practice this, we find that we're on an adventure. God will show us things about ourselves that need healing and correction. And we're going to talk next week about prayer as living in the healing presence of God. Um, and today we're kind of talking about living in the attentive journey with God, a God awareness and consciousness. And this journey will have a long lifespan, maybe the rest of your life and mine, but will also be a healing journey too. And so the questions that I leave us with today is, have you discovered the treasure in the field? It's God's love or in the shorthand, you could say it's God. Have you discovered that treasure? And if you have, have you been sent on a quest then to discover it more? You don't just want to be friends with God. You want to be a lover of God. You don't just want to know God. You want to be in union with God. And so where are you on that journey? I'd consider, I'd encourage you, if, if you want to develop this life of prayer, then it takes noticing God outside, around us, the work that God is doing within our own lives. It takes noticing um, what he's doing within and without. And it's a, it's a wonderful adventure um, that I feel like I am still on the very, very beginnings of. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace in our lives, and we thank you for this great treasure that you have given to us in Jesus Christ, this whole concept that we are loved beyond um, all of our mistakes, beyond all of our failures, that we are just deeply loved and cherished by you, and that you're always leading us and beckoning us into a life in the kingdom that reflects your love and your values. Um, and so we just pray that you will give us the awareness of your presence throughout our lives in each of our days that we might be present, open, and awake. In Jesus' name, amen.